0: You're listening to David and Jeff's Survivor Podcast. Now, here's your host, David and Jeff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to David and Jeff's Survivor Podcast. I'm David, and not here with me is Jeff. Who knows where he is? He's a no-show. But I have a special guest. JML is back on the podcast with us. He's going to be talking with me about the finale of Survivor Kageon. Get his thoughts, what his thoughts on where the storyline and editing is, also just his opinions on how the uh, the actual game went in itself. So, how are you doing, Justin? I'm doing great. I think we should just rename this thing, David and Justin Survivor Podcast, and just go. There we go. Yeah, today today it is David and Justin Survivor Podcast. Yes. To- <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's Justin and myself. Uh, we're gonna be talking about the finale. So. Let's just start with, overall, what did you think of the finale? And in and of itself, as the episode as a whole, did you like the finale? Did you think it was lackluster compared to the rest of the season? What were your thoughts?
1: I actually thought the finale was a bit more entertaining for me than the the rest of the season, if we're going to compare it against that. I, I enjoyed it. I mean, the big surprise for me was that final vote when they turned it and Spencer went home. And then I was just kind of like, well, we're just going to see what happens. And that... <laughs> That, to me, I guess, you know, I don't always value the unpredictability, but now I guess I see why people
0: do to a certain extent because I think it was more enjoyable with the unpredictability of it. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, I think a lot of the past seasons, you know, I've been able and, and I think you have been able to see some clear people. Obviously, they're either going to win or, you know, you can tell certain people aren't. But this one, yeah, there was a lot of people who at different points I thought they could win. I thought there were people that I... Like, for Tony, I thought there were times where I thought, well, he's not going to win with he was showing. So I thought the editing really threw us for a curveball this uh, this season. Yeah, internal
1: to the episode, they really built up everybody as a possible winner's candidate. When you had... um, Wu was being compared to Fabio, and it would have been a Fabio win if he had won, and then they really humanized Cass in a way they hadn't done before. And then Tony... They they built him up as not a winner's candidate because he did the typical oh I'm satisfied and usually when someone goes I'm satisfied that means oh they're not going to win because they're happy that means they've they've reached their catharsis with the the game yeah so it was interesting the way that they did that they kind of swerved a little bit it was to me I called it a double bluff or a double double bluff where they knew they said this was a season for the fans and they know how the fans usually look at things so they put that stuff forward and then. Then, under, then pulled the rug out from under us,
0: undermined it. Yeah, it's interesting because you have someone like like Tony who won, who definitely uh, was the star, one of the stars of the, the season. I mean, he got lots of airtime, but it wasn't necessarily like Redemption Island with Boston Rob, where we're like, well, this guy's clearly going to dominate and win. It was like, okay, this guy is going to have a big downfall, this guy can't possibly win, but then he does, he pulls it off and, and wins it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was, like I said, and we can go into this a little bit later, I don't know what your overall outline is, but it was so, there was so many Russell-Hantz parallels that it seemed like he was going to go down the Hantz path, which yeah. inevitably ends up with him trying to make another reality show, which is fictitious, I guess, I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, so let's, uh, let's first talk about Spencer. We, we had the, you know, in the episode, he ends up losing the challenge. And, you know, if you're looking at it just from a purely strategic way, it was very predictable that he would go next. I mean, he was obviously the biggest target. He didn't win immunity. He was gone. Um, what did you think of now Cena as a whole? What did you think of story li- or uh, Spencer's storyline this season and then specifically to his ending in the finale?
1: Uh, I think his story was built around his speech in the jury, and I think that was the payoff. I think if it had just been he was voted out and then he disappeared and gave, like, a lame jury question, it wouldn't have made sense. But when he gave the last question and that was the speech he gave, I said, oh, okay, I understand why they edited him the way they did now. So I think he had a good edit. over. I think the whole season was edited very well overall, and it was very compelling because it didn't make sense until the end, which is what you want out of a Survivor season, is you want to watch the whole thing and then at the end go, oh, now I understand why everything that was done that way. Likewise with the same thing with LJ, you know, you saw LJ look like he was going to win. He had such a great edit. And yeah. then when he lost, you're like, oh, I understand why they edited him in that way. And even in the finale, you see why they edited LJ that way. You saw that they did that to build Tony up even more.
0: Yeah. Yeah, th- this was his big move. He took out his biggest threat, and now the game is his. But we did just we didn't know that until until <laughs> the very end.
1: Right, LJ was his
0: biggest threat, and then he had to survive
1: Spencer until the finale. And then in the finale, his he had to woo woo.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, what did you think of of Spencer's plea to to Tony? Uh, the final two plea. No, the, uh, uh, the trying to save himself in the final four. Right, right, that's what I was saying. The strategy was built
1: upon saying, well, it's going to be a final two. Oh, yes, yes. When I was looking at it story-wise, I was sitting there and I was talking to the people I was sitting with, and I go, well, the most logical thing for Spencer to do is to save himself. Because I was like, well, there's got to be a move for Spencer to save himself. Yeah. Right? Because story-wise, it looked like he was going to save himself. Yeah. So I said, the most logical move is to go to Tony and say, you don't want to face Wu in the jury because he's likable, and likable players have beaten strategists before. And then yeah. he did exactly that, and I was like, oh, wow, I'm a genius. <laughs> and then they edited it for the, uh, the fire challenge, and I was like, oh, well, that's what's going to happen. He's going to force a tie with Tony, and it's going to be him versus Wu, and he's going to beat Wu. And I was like, then he's going to take Cast to the end. Was like open and close case. So I thought strategically it was the best move he had left. And I thought, you know, if we're going to talk purely from a strategic standpoint, I thought Spencer always made the optimal move from his context. But I didn't think he he just was never in a good context because he made the bad move in the beginning of going with Garrett, which all always put him behind the the uh, I think the phrase is behind the eight ball, so to speak. So I thought it was a good move and it was the best move he could have made but unfortunately, as we saw all season, he was in a bad position.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think with Spencer, obviously he was never... Yeah, there was a few times where he was in a very good position, like right after the Tribe switch and at the very beginning of the merge. But for the most part, his circumstances was very, very bleak for him. But at the same time, I'm glad and appreciated that he recognized, even at the finale, you know, I that Spencer didn't have quite all the be able to read people as well as Tony or have that ability to socially look at people and understand them a little better. Whereas he, I think he thought very rationally and logically on everything and he made the the most, the, the optimal moves for himself, like you said, but I, I think his weakness was he wasn't fully looking at how everyone else was operating and what things they would do. I think he just thought, well, this is the most optimal thing that they would do. So obviously that's what they're going to do.
1: I'm going to make a philosophical point. I agree with you completely, but I'm going to make a point about the use of the word rational and the use of the word logical. It is not rational to not look at the personalities of the people you're playing with and not be able to assess them. I'm not saying it's something he did intentionally, but it is an error in reasoning. This is the same error in reasoning we saw in South Pacific the editors hang a lantern on when they showed Albert playing chess, making the point that Albert only saw people as pawns. He he saw them as purely numbers. And we see this with a lot of Survivor fans, where they only see it as a purely number-based game. Well, if you have five and they have four, well, you have the numbers, or if you're four, you need to just switch one person. It doesn't work that way. You establish rapport, you establish relationships. So I think, you know, what Spencer's actually getting at is, yeah, there's a weakness in his own thought process which causes him to have poor reasoning because he doesn't have all the information. So I think he was – I don't think he was being irrational intentionally. I don't think his uh, equation was complete, though. Whereas if you look at in his tribe, the person who had the best people skills was who? David. David. And who did he immediately get rid of? Garrett. And Garrett was the one who was ultimately the downfall of everyone in the Brains tribe, right? Fair enough, Yes. Right. So if Spencer had known that, he would have gone with David to begin with, and David was aligned with Cass, the two of them would have kept Cass in line. He would have gotten closer with Tasha. Jatia never would have been an issue. So yeah, it was an issue of not being able to assess people, but that's an error in reasoning. And it's not, it's not opposite rationality to acknowledge emotions and acknowledge who people are, because that is part of reality. Part of reality is you have emotions, they have emotions, they have personalities. You need to assess that. You need to embrace your emotions. You need to
0: embrace your personality and understand their personality and emotions. So maybe that was like uh, I said the wrong word. So maybe Spencer looked at it very numerically, the game, whereas he... Correct. You didn't look at it
1: wrong, you just looked at it the way people normally say, it's just a big pet peeve of mine I have because, small tangent here, sorry audience, but if I'm going to get on my high horse a little bit, now this is David and Justin, so I can do this. Uh, <laughs> um, it's just, I live my last my life by rationality, like that's really important to me, that's one of my core values is to approach life rationally. And people see that very Spock-like, very Vulcan-like, right, where they think it's cold. And they think you need to have the opposite to balance that, which is Kirk, which is human, which is emotions. And I just, I just don't think that's a healthy way to look at life. So when, when that comes up, I'm just very careful to uh, speak out against it. So I don't think you said anything wrong. It's just it's a very precise philosophical
0: point. Gotcha. So you talked about Cass being humanized this uh, final episode. What were your thoughts of of her throughout the finale? Uh, Scared. (laughs) I
1: was very scared at the possibility of Cass winning. Um, It was nice to see more, you know, another side of her, to see her be more humanized and, like, care about things. But, I mean, my, my overall opinion of her didn't change because she made one statement which I didn't really like. I believe it was in the finale. It might have been the episode before where she said, nobody has integrity playing this game. I just don't believe that. I mean, I think, one, Wu proved her wrong, and Wu could have very easily won the season if he had taken her. So, one, that proved her wrong. And, two, I think that people who have won the game have integrity. I I think Tony has integrity and he won. I don't think we agree with his values. But I think he won, He, you know, he said what he was going to do, and he did it. You know, I just don't think the words meant anything to him. I don't think that's lacking integrity. I don't think he contradicted his values or his life. So I just think ultimately, you know, Cass proved to be who Cass is. I think she just has a very negative, stereotypically cynical position on life.
0: Yeah, and I think integrity, everyone can interpret in their own ways what it means to have integrity or what, what makes someone, you know, be, uh, have integrity or not. So it's sort of like you calling someone else saying they don't have integrity, well you know, that's sort of your again, it's your opinion and what you feel integrity is.
1: You're exactly right. It's one of those positions that it, the statement declares more about yourself than it does about other people. Well, if you say, well, I think most people are liars. Well, that means you're probably a liar. If you say, nobody has integrity in this game, that means you're never going to try to have integrity
0: in this game. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, I was. Uh, it was interesting to me to see her come from behind in that immunity challenge and actually win it, and you know, be a half a second away from winning the other one. Yeah. Uh, but that but she, was... here's
1: the funny thing, though, right? <laughs> Do you realize if she had won that final immunity challenge, it just would have been Africa because she would have gotten destroyed by Will in the final vote. Yep, yep. She would have been – because Kim Jay won the last two immunities in Africa, right? Yeah. Right. So it would have been exactly that. The old woman goes to the end. She's a goat. She wins the last two immunities and votes out the strategist and, and loses in the finale. <laughs> yeah. Loses to the nice guy who stayed loyal. It would have been exactly the same thing as Africa.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's fun to point out, you know, Wu lost the game by winning the challenge, <laughs> you know. <laughs>
1: Well, no, he lost the game by taking Tony, which was because he won the challenge. But it was the, it was taking Tony that lost
0: the game. Ultimately, yeah. What did you think of the whole uh, the Wu taking Tony move? Strategically. Strategically, anything we, <laughs> however you wanna. Well, there's two ways to look at it, right? There's the one to look at
1: it strategically, which once again, if we're gonna look at personality, I don't know if there's any move Wu could have made, any other move, because. He values his code. And he wasn't saying that as bullshit, right? He wasn't trying to bullshit the jury. Like yeah. That was legitimately one of the best final tribal council performances I've ever seen because he was able to sit there calmly, rationally, and say, this is what I believe, this is why I did it, and I am proud of myself. And that is an extremely respectable way to play it. So I don't know if he could have done it any other way, but obviously the best move, if winning was your highest value was to take Cass. But obviously Wu said, I don't want to win if I have to do all this other stuff. So, you know, he tried to win within his code, within his values, which wasn't possible for him. So, you know, ultimately, this may sound crazy, but I respect Wu for the game he played. You know, there are people who would have made that mistake, you know, like a Colby or something. Although even you could say Colby did the same thing as Wu. But there were people who made that mistake that I would say, well, it's not really a mistake. It's a mistake with your values of saying winning the game is your highest value. But for Wu, I don't think it was a mistake. I think he did what he wanted, and he's proud of it.
0: Yeah, I I would compare it also to, like, Ian from Survivor Palau, when he intentionally, you know, loses the challenge so Tom takes Katie. You know, he's doing that. You know, not for any strategic reason, obviously, but he's doing it because of his value system and his, his moral right. code. Right.
1: And then when people say, like, it's the worst, like, they said that about Ian, right? Like, it's one of the worst moves in Survivor history. You're, what you said is exactly my argument against it. It's not a bad move. It's the move you wanted to make for his life. You can't drop the context of your life when you're playing Survivor, and people think you can. Likewise, the same thing with Wu. It's not a dumb move. Wu made the move for Wu. He didn't make it for you people watching the game. He didn't make it for you, Cass. He didn't make it for you, Spencer, sitting there on the jury going, Wu, what's wrong with you? He made it for Wu, so I'm not going to call it dumb in the same way I'm going to call Eric in fans versus favorites dumb, where he was legitimately trying to forward himself in the game.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, What did you think of the the final travel council? You said Wu had one of the best performances. Yeah, it the editing made it look like Wu was coming off really great, everyone was super mad at Tony, and yet, in the end, it's 8-1. to one. Well, he
1: wa- I mean, Wu was coming off great, and everyone was mad at Tony. It was a therapy session. It was fine. We're going to give you the game, but we want to know who you are, and we, were- we have this time where you have to listen to us, and if we're going to give you a million dollars, fine. Listen to us. Yeah. This is why I'm mad at you, Tony. Deal with it. You did this. Here's your million dollars. And you know what? Wu did come across well, because Tony wasn't able to articulate why he did what he did. But, I mean, he's a cop. Cops are not paid to be able to articulate what they do. They're paid to go out there and do the right thing. So That's what is he going to do? Out. He made a plan of action. He did the right thing, and he won. I mean, he's a, he did the cop thing. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it made sense. And the edit, the edit played that to its advantage, right? Because I was like, holy shit, Woo is cleaning up. Yeah. But, no, I, I mean, I enjoyed it. Like, I think one of the things that I will always remember that I think most people won't is, and I think it's tragic most people won't is, how good of a performance Wu gave and how much it can teach you about final jury performances. When I think of final jury performances in the past ten seasons since, like, well, I guess it's eight since, like, Heroes vs. Villains, the three that stand out to me are um, Boston and Rob, obviously, because he finally figured out how to play the jury. Uh, Sophie, who actually sat there and bothered to define what it meant to outwit outplay, and outlast, it out last, which nobody does. Nobody goes, this is what I did. Let me define it for you, and then I'll tell you how I did it. That was brilliant. And then, woo, the, the idea of saying, this is who I am. This is why I did it. I'm proud of it. I'm not apologizing. And being able to do that clearly, I think people can learn a lot from that, about how to approach the game and how to approach the jury when you get there.
0: Yeah. We've, uh, we mentioned a little bit earlier, everyone has been comparing Tony and uh, Russell Hantz and their similarities and differences. Let's get your official opinion on the comparison between Tony and Russell Hantz. Compare and contrast.
1: Well, what I will say about this is I think that's what the edit wanted us to do. I think yeah. they, they cast him for that, and I think they edited the season around that where they wanted us to think it was going to be Wu was going to be Natalie, and then they reversed it at the end by having the speech be for Tony, not against him the way it was with Eric Cardona and Russell, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what Spencer's whole edit was built around. Do I think Tony is like Russell? Yeah. I mean, I do think we have to acknowledge that Russell had positive things about his gameplay. Russell was aggressive, and Russell wanted to win, and he made the moves he had. And he was out there looking for the idols. And he figured out camera tricks to figure out where the idol was and everything. I mean, Spencer said it, I think, or somebody said it where they said, the reason, yeah, Spencer said it, the reason Tony was finding the idols, woo, is because he was looking and you weren't. Which you have to give someone respect for that. Like, that means they want to win. I think he was also like Russell in the sense that, and they showed this with Cass as well, where they, you know, and I'll get into this in a second, but they show Cass was more negative than, than, than Tony. But Tony still had a little bit of that negativity where I don't think he needed to lie as much as he did to, to get to where he was. Yeah. And I think the other thing that's revealing about his edit is what Trish said to him. I was there putting the fires out for you. And I think they really under-edited. They only really showed us once when Trish did that. So I think they under-edited Trish doing that in order to make Tony look like more like Russell Hance than he was. In the same sense that Steven was there to make JT look good and win unanimously, I think Trish helped uh, Tony a, a lot in the same sense that Steven helped Russell. Does that make sense?
0: Steven helped JT, yeah.
1: JT, yeah Steven helped JT, sorry. And, and, and then he helped Russell by... Transitive property of equality because JT was able to give that note in Heroes versus Villains.
0: There, there you go. Yeah. yeah. I just <laughs>
1: saved myself there, but you get what I'm saying, right?
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah.
1: And I think they underedited Trish to make that comparison because yeah. the whole season, right? Now I'm gonna get into the the Cass and um, Tony thing a little bit more. The whole season was built around Wu's choice, right? It, it all built up and led to, do you take the greatest go? in Survivor History, or you take the greatest strategy strategist of your season to the finale. And what do you do? And it was built upon saying, well, they're both negative, and they both played the game with this sort of negative perspective. Because they really underedited Tony. We didn't see his benevolence. We didn't see how nice he was in camp, which is, you know, a lot of what people hated about Russell was how mean he was in camp, right? So it went beyond Russell's gameplay and how he treated people. They didn't really show us Tony treating people well. And that was intentional. Because they wanted us to think, well, what is the degree of negativity in this game? And ultimately what they showed us is the degree of negativity is too much with Cass, but it wasn't too much with Tony. So this was really a sort of another learning lesson about Russell with the whole conflict that Russell brought up in Survivor with the fact that he lost. They just sort of recycled that again and showed us a different variation on it.
0: Yeah, I think the biggest difference for me is is that Tony, I I think I read this in an interview with Spencer, you know, he said Tony's genuinely a nice guy. Like he, you know, he's, you know, outside of, you know, him strategizing and playing the game, he's very friendly, he's very nice, he's considerate and caring to people. And I think that he was nice and took genuine interest in people throughout the season. And like you said, they intentionally didn't show us all the, you know, you know, the one time they showed, I think near the end they showed, you know, Tony talking with Spencer and Wu and just sort of bonding, and that's when Castle overheard and thought that he was calling her names and all this stuff. But, you know, I think I think Tony was also very much, you know, nice to people and genuinely invested in building relationships, which is, I think is something that Russell clearly didn't do, and he went out of a way to make people feel awful on their way out. Um right. Which and, is what and Cass I, I
1: also
0: agree. did. What?
1: Which is what Cass also did. Yeah,
0: I was just about to say, and I think that's, yeah, in, in that sense, it was very similar to Cass, who gives someone the finger on the way out. I'm sure that will, you know, makes them feel nice and <laughs> and wonderful. But, right, so
1: in a way, they were kind of like, if you took Russell Hansen and split him in two, editing-wise,
0: that's what they became, right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so... Very interesting, yeah. I, there's lots of comparisons. I think they they did both play hard. They did everything in their uh, everything in their power to gain control and to you know have everything at their disposal to win. But but ultimately, I think Survivor comes down to the social and how how good you are with people. And I think people generally respected Tony, whereas people did not respect Russell and just thought he was an ass.
1: Right, and with Tony, he was nice enough that they were able to say, does this game mean this much to you? You know, we know you're not doing this to be mean to us, whereas with Russell, they thought Russell was doing it to be mean to them. So with Tony, they could sit there, and that's all they wanted, right? That was the key moment editing-wise for uh, Tony in the final tribal, where he finally admitted, yeah, well, I am willing to, to throw my dad's name under the bus in order to win this. Yep. And that's all they wanted to know. And when he finally owned up to it, he said, "Yes, this game means that much to me." They said, "Fine, have it. You know, if that's me, if it means that much to you, you can have it."
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. So I, I thought it was a, a good season all the way around. I thought it was very entertaining. Um, I thought it, Tony was a great winner, um, and so many just interesting characters this season. I think you know a lot of rich personalities and, and you did you, you know they did bluff us they they truly I did not think that Tony was going to win even at the merge I know what last time we had you here you said he was one of the options but I was really thank you for acknowledging that I want to
1: at least know that Tony was on my radar it was just I was convinced of Spencer but if yes. I had to pick a number two at like one percent I would have picked Tony. Yeah. <laughs> he was shown, I mean, let's be serious. In the beginning of the season, he, it was shown as the person who was most balanced, right? So Spencer was the brain with Braun, and Tony was the Braun with Brain. And bra- Brain was made to be a big deal in the first episode. And from the beginning, you know, LJ was the beauty with Brains. So those were sort of our three winners candidates. Well, when it came down to the end, two were there left, and one of the two won. So we had a good, we had a good beat on the end. We just didn't have the complete picture, which is the way it should be in any good mystery story, right?
0: Yeah. And uh, now that the season's over, what is the theme? What was the theme of the storyline this season?
1: Well, it's what I just said. It was being the complete package. Complete
0: so it was package. being it was
1: it was being able to balance brains with whatever your thing was. And as Spencer ultimately said, you know, he wasn't able to balance his physical physicality enough because if you want to call your gut you know, understanding people's emotions and being able to read people, that's physical, that's brawn. So Tony won because he was the most balanced out of everyone in the season. You know, Wu didn't have enough of brains, right? He didn't have enough strategy. Cass didn't have enough of brawn. She didn't understand it, right? She didn't understand how to interact with people. Spencer didn't understand how to interact with people. But in the end, Tony had a balance of enough of each that he was able to win. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's what you would think the
0: season would be about, right? Yeah, and I think it's, it's interesting, one of the most uh, t- looking at him physically impressive winners to never win a challenge. <laughs> yeah, like,
1: but, I mean, this is something you have to be deceptive about. This goes back to, like, Ibrahim in Palau, right? There are people who work out and get big where it looks more impressive than it is. There are yeah. two types of ways of working out. There's working out for actual strength. And then there's working out for pure aesthetics, and unfortunately in our culture, I mean, I live, I live in Southern California, so I see a lot of this, right, where it's a lot of a, space. so you want to look more the part than you want to actually have the part. Whereas if you look in Hollywood back in the day, the men who were manly men, they don't have the, you know, the six pack of abs and like the huge pecs and the huge shoulders and biceps, but they're still in shape and they still have muscles. It's just a different type of Muscular approach.
0: Yeah. yeah. So I think, you
1: know, I, I do think Tony's strong, but I don't think he has the overall training package someone like Wu has or, you know, someone like Tasha or Spencer where they are more naturally athletic. Where Tasha well, probably trains and she's more naturally
0: athletic. Well, and I would say, I would say 90% of the challenges, survivor challenges these days, has nothing to do with strength. Well, that's true as well. It It has to do with the balance, right? Balance, endurance, maybe some agility or speed, but very rarely, you know, occasionally you get the challenge where, you know, you have to hold up the, the weights on your shoulder. But other than that, there's not a lot of challenges that are purely about strength.
1: That's true as well. So we don't have an actual gauge on how strong Tony actually is. He's probably pretty strong because, to be fair, he does look more. And this is sort of where the Russell Hats comparisons come from as well. He does look more like the short stature, wide-bodied type of guy who's a lot stronger than he may appear. So Tony's actually probably pretty strong. We don't have an accurate gauge on that. Yeah.
0: I would That's say he's going to the gym, he's the one doing lifting the weights and that sort of things. Um, but you know. Not doing the
1: slide puzzle. Yeah, he's not doing the slide puzzle. He's not at the academy training on the balance beam. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: Him and Daniel Liu are over in the corner lifting together. <laughs> but that's an Amazon throwback for anyone who's wondering.
0: Yeah. Um, let's briefly kind of talk about the reunion. Anything that stood out to you from, from that?
1: I mean, you already said it. It was. I always enjoy when people like Spencer say, oh, well, this was my error, and they're actually able and honest to, to, to live up to things and be able to assess it and move forward. Beyond that, I mean...
0: Aren't you glad we got to talk to Tyler Perry?
1: I mean, it did make me have more respect for Tyler Perry than I had before. I was <laughs> like, oh, wow, this guy actually does look at things intelligently from a producer's standpoint. So it it did make me wonder... How much he does pander in what he makes? I was like, maybe he actually really is just pandering to the the lowest common denominator. Intentionally, I could see someone doing it because he seemed pretty intelligent. So yeah,
0: yeah, um, yeah. I didn't think there was anything that groundbreaking, <laughs> big revelations or anything in the reunion. Um, yeah, I liked Spencer acknowledging his moves. Um, yeah, it's been a, it's been over. Oh, what about two weeks now, and I'm just having fuzzies, even remembering anything specific from the so right. Obviously- I'm
1: kind of I'm kind of done with the season. I'm kind of ready to move on, which doesn't really happen. I mean, I wrote my 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 analysis, which you know, I, once I did that, I was like, okay, I've put this in its place. It can move on. This was a good sort of palate cleanser after having to put up with Cochrane and Tyson winning. So you know, I, it's not a winner I love, but it's a winner that the edit made me respect. So I'm sort of ready to move on with Survivor, and I'm, uh, I'm ready to say, give me a new era, Jeff Probst. Let's see where the show goes from here. Yeah, hopefully you, it goes bigger and better places.
0: What do you think of uh, the potential of the new season, another Blood vs. Water, Redemption Island, but with all new people? It is all new people, that's confirmed? That is confirmed.
1: Uh, that concerns me edit-wise, because there's a lot to establish. It was a lot easier last season because you had known people and you could spend time establishing the relationships, not the people. But to have to establish the people and the relationships, it's a challenge for the editors, and I'm interested to see how they
0: they achieve that, how they reach that challenge. Well, and I I hope that they do 16 to 18 people, not 20, because 20 new people, it's a lot. You know, even though, you know... It was, it was fine for the first blood versus water where, okay, 10 of them we already know. Now we're learning the dynamics between them and their loved ones. It's easy. Okay, this person goes with that person. Very easy. But to have 20 brand new people that were not only, okay, who is this person, but, oh, this person and this person are connected, and we have to do that 10 times.
1: <laughs> right. So hopefully they'll, you know, do what you said. I think that's a good strategy. They may approach it with 16 people. We'll see. Uh, I mean, I'm not a big fan of Redemption Island, but whatever, it's part of the show now. I don't really think anyone from Redemption Island is ever going to win the game, so it's not an issue. It's just a gimmick at this point. So we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, I uh, I think you can certainly do 16 people in a Redemption Island season. I mean, part of the reason why they don't like to do 16 is because if they have quits or they then they're, they're down people. But with Redemption Island, you have a quit, okay, someone's coming back in the game, you know, sort of a thing. So I, th- I think the smart approach would be have less contestants so we have more time to get to know them. And then, sure, bring since Redemption Island's there anyways, bring them back in the game. Yeah.
1: It's not even really about just necessarily getting to know them. It's just establishing story arcs. One of the things that really worked for this season was everyone had a story arc that fit the overall story arc. It worked all together. It was integrated. It was an integrated plot, where sometimes things sort of just, in past seasons, it was just kind of like, oh, well, I guess that makes sense, or someone was just there, you know? I mean, I think one of the biggest critiques of uh, Samoa is concretized in Mario Land's, what did he call it, Photoshopped Brett? (laughs) CGI Brett, yeah. CGI Brett, that was what he called it, CGI Brett. It's the idea that someone's not really there, right? And, you know, I don't, I'm not one of these people that I need a lot of character development. Like, I understand in an ensemble cast there's going to be minor characters who don't have a lot of character development. But to have somebody not be there at all and then just randomly show up, that's a valid critique. That's poor editing. Yeah. So hopefully what I'm concerned about is with Blood versus Water, that does I'm concerned about that happening because they're going to focus on the only the important relationships. So hopefully that doesn't happen. And the minor characters, you know, like a Jeffra, actually get their screen time. But Jeffra didn't have a huge screen time, and I'm fine with that, because she was a minor character, but she still
0: had her day in the sun, so to speak. Yeah. No, I agree. Is there anything you are hoping to see from Survivor in the future? Uh, yeah, an all winners season. Yeah. That's I the last that's thing I want to see, all-winners. I think that's a lot of people's desires, and I, I think... I don't think it's going to happen for a while still. I think Jeff Probst is still, like, doesn't like half the winners, so, so he doesn't necessarily want to bring certain people back. Um, look, so as I, long as they
1: bring back, I don't even care if Boston Rob comes back. I'm done. I'm, like, I love Boston Rob, but I'm satisfied with his plot. I'm satisfied with his story. He doesn't need to come back. And Look, these are the people I want to see, ready? And there's three people, and these, these picks are going to blow people's minds, Okay. These are the three people I want to see come back. People are going to be like, what? What are you talking about? Ready? I want to see Earl play again, okay? And I want to see him play against all winners because I think he would win because I think everyone would underestimate him. Then I want to see Sophie play again on an all-winner season because I think she would be underestimated. Finally, I want to see Denise play again. Those are the three. If those three winners are on the three-winner season, I'm happy. Yeah. And, and let's just throw Tony in for fun. Well, t- I think Tony will be there. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't need to see him. I'm just telling you that these are the three people I want to see. Yeah. And I know it's a little atypical, so I just wanted to say that.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm glad I uh, I'm glad Tony said in interviews that he'd, he would play again if they asked he'd go back, um, which I know a lot of winners, you know, say they don't. And I think it's the thing of... If you win on your first time, there's still a desire to come back. But if you win on your second or third time, you're like, okay, what's the point?
1: <laughs> right, you've proven it, right? But the first time, you're like, was that luck?
0: Yeah. Or or even, yeah, I, I want to – I can get to do this thing again. Oh, that's so cool. Like, you know, but uh, Boston Robbie's done it four times. I seriously doubt he has any real desire to come back. Right, what does he have to
1: prove anymore, right?
0: Yeah. What does he have to prove? What what new experience is he going to get? You right. know, and part of it is I get new experiences. And even a second time, you're like, oh, well, this could be completely different. It's good, you know. But the <laughs> the fourth time, you're like, I've pretty much been in every iteration the show can throw at me. I, I don't really need – I'm not going to learn anything new. I'm not going to – you can't even get him back
1: for Blood versus Water because that was all-stars for him.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So so I, I fully understand Boston Rob not wanting to come back, and, yeah, I think that's fine. <laughs> Any other thoughts you have on the season or the finale? No, I'm good. I think I said it all. Yeah, I think I, it's
1: just important to say that Spencer's edit was as the greatest loser to ever play the game. That was why <laughs> they showed him saying, like, you know, I'm going to play the greatest game ever because he was the greatest loser ever to play. I think that's what the edit was
0: yeah um, who, oh, one more thing who from this season do you think would be interesting to see come back for another season? Well the one that
1: people don't usually say is LJ I want to see LJ come back because I think he's a great player I find him incredibly amusing I know people are like he's boring but I just the fact that he could say so even keel no matter what craziness is around him yeah I, I just I admire that so much it just says everyone's crazy and I'm LJ I just I love that. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I'd like to see Tasha back, uh, Spencer. Uh, I'd like to see if Cass plays the same strategy again. And then I wouldn't mind seeing Wu back. I know that's probably a little weird. And obviously Tony.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think there are so many strong characters this season. Um, and it's really uh, really great job to, to CBS this year of actually, you know, switching it up. I, I would say... You know, there was a while there, I think, where they they got a little lazy with editing, even maybe a little with casting, like, oh, let's just do the same type of people. But I thought they did a really good job of picking people for the season and taking and special care and pride in the season, I guess.
1: I mean, I think it's always the same people over and over again. It's just they
0: hide it differently, so doesn't bother yeah. me. I've never been upset about casting. Kudos to them hiding it better. (laughs) Cool. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on again, uh, Justin. It's great to always hear from you. Um, And we definitely will have you back next season to talk more about uh, the show and everything. But uh, you want to plug and promote before we say goodbye? Yeah,
1: thanks for having me. It's always great to be here. Um, Make sure you guys check out my podcast. It's called Welcome to the Midside. It's more general about the culture and sort of witnessing the farce we've become. Uh, It's hosted on my website, themidside.com, and also on talkbacker.com. Look out for this week's episode, which will be released on Monday. It's the first in my special Zack Snyder series, where we talk about my favorite director, Zack Snyder, and each of his movies. So each episode is going to be about uh, all of his movies. And the first episode comes out this week, or comes out Monday, and it's going to be about his background, and we're talking about Dawn of the Dead. So how many movies has Zack Snyder actually made? So he's got uh, Dawn of the Dead, 300, Watchmen, uh, Rise of the, no, Legend of the Guardian, Owls of Ghoul, Hool, and Man of Steel. And then he's working on Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, and then he's going to do Justice League. So in a while he'll have, that's seven, but right now he has five.
0: The owl one sort of seems a little out
1: of place. (laughs) Well, it it, see people say that they were like it's a departure from what he's done. But if you actually look at the themes of the movie and the way it's directing, I mean directed, they have 3D or not 3D. They have slow mo owl fights. So if you see it, you understand how it's Zack Snyder.
0: Yeah, I've never actually seen the the movie. Is it any good?
1: It's I mean it's entertaining. I think it's probably the the worst written out of all his movies. You know, if we're ignoring 300 Rise of the Empire, which I am, because it's just not a good movie and he didn't direct it. But, um, yeah, I think, I think it's entertaining. Visually, it's stunning, which, I mean, you would expect from Zack Snyder. So I would say watch it for the visuals and understand that some of the writing is kind of eh. I mean, it is based on a children's book
0: series. But, yeah, I think it's very entertaining. Right? Great. Well, uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Be sure to check out uh, Justin's website, TheMidside.com, and also uh, leave us comments on what you thought of the finale of Survivor Cagayan and any thoughts that you have for us. You can do that on our Facebook page, David and Jeff Survivor Podcast, or on our website, SurvivorPodcast.blogspot.com. Or you can check us out on iTunes, David and Jeff's Survivor Podcast. We're going to be doing a couple things this off-season. We're going to be doing another Survivor trivia. We're going to be doing some Survivor lists. So it should be a lot of fun. So stay tuned. We're not uh, going away for two months uh, or three months. We'll be doing some other stuff in between them. But uh, thank you guys so much for listening to David and Justin's Survivor Podcast. Uh (laughs) Look for the spinoff next fall. (laughs) Look for the spin-off. But, uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for uh, listening and or watching. Goodbye.